1: From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun, our weekly podcast with stories and conversation that's centered on the weather and climate and how those factors impact our lives. I'm your host, meteorologist Dean DeVore, and I'm pleased to bring you uh, meteorologists and experts here from AccuWeather and around the world to discuss those topics. We are just coming out of our one-week holiday production break. This is our first episode in the calendar year of 2021. It is the fifth episode in the series of Winter Weather Focus and the issues that winter and cold bring to us. In that last episode that dropped right before Christmas, it was in the heart of a very stormy pattern for the Great Lakes in the Northeast. But as we get ready to head into the second weekend of January and getting near that midway point of meteorological winter, the storm track has taken a pretty prolific turn away from those areas that were harder hit just a couple of weeks ago. And we're poised to see a storm that brings some snow to some places that don't normally get it. The mountains of the Carolinas, and even into some of the Piedmont and certainly up into southern Virginia could see some snow as we start the weekend on Friday. And it looks like there's another little system that could bring some rain or snow towards the early part of next week. But it's the end of next week, a bitter blast of Arctic air that's going to turn some of these quietly cold areas into a winter wonderland again at least temperatures and with some snow showers as we head into that weekend of january 16th and 17th so certainly over the next week we'll be monitoring that situation dave Donbeck will be along at the end of our podcast to talk a little bit about it but certainly as we go through the next couple of days and several days and in fact anytime we're always monitoring and figuring it out how to best communicate the impacts and the dangers of weather the best way to you the consumer That's something we've been doing here at AccuWeather for almost 60 years, grown out of experience and expertise. The way we communicate the weather is now certainly much different than it was when this company was founded 60 years ago. So I thought this first episode of the year, we'd take a little bit of a track back to talk about some of those foundations of weather communications and how it evolved not only with our company, but even before that in the world with one of our experts on the subject, meteorologist Tyler Royce. Friends, it's time. To talk about everything under the sun. So I'm sure many of you were certainly affected this past Monday on that first day back to work and school for so many after the new year. One of the most popular platforms for organizational communication had a several hour outage. And certainly that put a kink in our armor in terms of how we communicate. We've been getting uh, so accustomed to using that for group communication with everyone so spread out because of the pandemic. It really kind of tweaked my thought here that we needed to go back and talk with Tyler Royce. Do you remember several weeks ago when we announced towards the end of the fall series, the winners of the Royal Meteorological Society Photographer of the Year contest? And part of that was a Weather Now presentation and our very own Tyler Royce gave an amazing presentation on the history of the presentation of weather. And so today I'm going to bring Tyler in. We're going to talk about that history a little bit, go back to the 1800s, how things started to evolve from them as weather communication started to take over, both here in the United States and also Great Britain, how that's played into what we do at AccuWeather and what the future holds in terms of weather communication. Well, Tyler, I wanted to talk to you today for a number of reasons. First, I want to get folks getting to know who you are i think i wear a lot of hats when i look at my life (laughs) different hats you know different times of the day it's an accuweather hat it's penn state hat my friend, I think you are the same way. I, I look at your background. You uh, graduated from high school, two thousand four. Is that about right? 2008? Yeah, two
3: thousand eight. Little two thousand eight. Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, mid two thousands. Connecticut. You grew yep. up there, and then you came and matriculated through the Pennsylvania State University with our wonderful meteorology department. And you know, while you were doing that, you know, you're one of those people who took the advantage of also working while you were in school, and so you were working. I think in housing and food services back yep. in those days? Yep. In the,
3: yep, yeah. Finley Commons.
1: Right, so you were doing that that's kind of continued right you still do some work at times for housing and food services i know you're an amazing cook when we're all in the office we get together and tyler brings some great stuff in the mornings when we have our little potlucks and stuff so i miss that um you love sports lady lion basketball has been a passion for you penn state yes, women's it has. basketball you were been a board member there with their uh, board of directors and their uh, lady lion booster club and so do you have time to sleep or work or whatever? I mean, uh, he seems like a busy, busy guy,
2: Tyler.
3: Many, many of my friends yell at me when I say, oh, I'm going to do something today. And it's like, on top of what? <laughs> but I do, I do find sleep somehow. So,
1: yeah, I, as in the lead into this, I talked about the reason this kind of sparked here as we kind of get going again here in the winter series is, you know, earlier this week, a lot of folks, including us here at AccuWeather, had the issue with the you know, I won't pick on them because I'm sure it may be another communication tool that soon may go have a little bit of an issue, but it really impacted uh, us in terms of how to communicate. And it really kind of drove home that we're relying so much on the uh, ways that we communicate now and we take so many things for granted. But when you're talking about the weather, the way we communicate the weather now, it just seems like the innovation is daily, where 10, 11, 12, 15 years ago, the innovation was maybe on the decade scale. So that's the acceleration of how fast things have changed is amazing. And we've kind of been in that you and I in the working in our working yep. time and weather. But then you think of back and, you know, when we were having that slack outage on Monday, we were of joking back and forth as we were still using video chat and talking that way as a group about how some of the ways we used to communicate the weather within our office and how that has changed in AccuWeather in 50 years. But you did a really cool thing where you went back and, and with the help, and this is something that, you know, AccuWeather, since its founding, has always been kind of keyed on the communication of weather, how to communicate that forecast the best, most effective yep. way. Yep. And and you went back and for the Armets folks looked at some of the history of that and really, the, the starting point for this in terms of the modern area is the invention of the telegraph. And, and it seemed like both the Britain and America had kind of similar paths once we went down that for, for several decades. Is that right?
3: You're right, Dean. And it's fascinating how the telegraph, how different areas used it and how it grew. In the U.S., we expanded the weather stations, the weather observing stations that we had at the time. And that rapidly increased from 150, just around 1849 to near the Civil War, you're up to 500. While in the UK, it took a little bit longer to get that going, but they were using it already to transmit with ships weather conditions. And finally, near the late... 1850, 1850s, early 1860s, you got the weather station communication with the telegraphs to appear in the UK.
1: And of course, you know, things now that we just take for granted. In fact, you know, we have a complaint if we get an hour's worth of observations or obs, as we call them in the office, that are missing. God forbid, we don't know exactly what's going on for the thousands of places. But, you know, they back in those days, they had to settle for a hundred. Now, even that was maybe the first beginnings of them being able to piece together what the weather looked like in a broader area, not just where you were, um, but just in how it played out. And then, so that came in hand in hand, some of the increases in knowledge of understanding the way. You're
3: absolutely right right with that. And that's what led to the creation of what we know is the, it called their weather charts. What we know is the weather maps that we, that we look at the different levels. It was because of being able to plot the information coming across. So that was one of the great inventions because of the telegraph and the weather observations.
1: So this takes us up through the, the late uh, 19th century, the late 1800s. And then as we get into the early 20th century, especially with the admin, I think radio, commercial radio. Um, I was at WEEI in Boston, the You're first, first uh, radio station to bro- actually broadcast a weather forecast. And of course we started to see, and and back then it was mostly, they were uh, reading national weather service forecasts that were writing zone forecasts for areas at that time. Of course, AccuWeather comes along and um, in the uh, late 1950s, early 1960s. And then this is when uh, Joel Myers, our founder and CEO Starts really selling the idea of a private weather company helping commercial radio and TV stations to really push weather and make that part of their heritage. And then you think about that, Tyler, you know, now as we've had a few generations grow up, think about that. All those heritage AccuWeather stations from back in the day that are still AccuWeather radio and television stations, including some of the ones that I work on. I mean, mm. BZ and 1010 Winds, and you know, you knew BZ from growing up in Connecticut and WPRO just off to the eastern Providence, all, all these iconic stations that got on board with the idea that communicating the weather in, a, in an effective way was an important situation to the success of your station and how your listeners valued you.
3: You're absolutely right. And the, the interesting fact, I'm just going to start a little bit back, is WBZ was the second radio station in the United States after WEEI in Boston to start doing uh, weather forecasts. Probably because air. of
1: competition, right? You know, they heard the right. EI doing it you know, like, hey, we, we probably should get in on this.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. So you, you see that once someone started to do it and, oh, people are going there, that's where the kind of the, the money in terms of maybe advertisement started to go. People said, all right, we have to start to catch up. But I, it's, we've been able to, to see that weather dominates the, the major ways that we communicate the news. Even back in the, the 60s into the 70s when we started to do the forecasting side of, hey, we can offer this service to you in terms of AccuWeather to have a personalized forecast that is more pinpoint, more detailed that that was very enticing. and that's and that's what people are looking for that's what they're coming to
1: right they're looking for that value add the the context i mean it's one thing to write a forecast into and, and we talk about this all the time. There, there's ways when we write uh, some of our radio forecasts that we put in certain language and stuff, but then there's also value that can be added that you, know, you may not have time to write or put in the space that's provided for you. And then the language that you use and then the frequency of updating, you know, and and, and, and that's even changed. I mean, I got into radio and media in the 70s. Well, in the 80s, well, let's say late 80s, um, you know, I was kind of really media savvy early on, probably why I do what I do now, but (laughs) kind of knew what was going on in the 70s. But you you think I I can remember watching a television weather presenter actually draw his map and things on basically a chalkboard or a dry erase board, which it wasn't dry erase back then. It was the China marker, which is funny because that's exactly what I did when I got into fourth grade. I this uh, weather forecast for my class. And I had this map that I made that I could use a China marker and draw the things on it and stuff. So, you know, we're from that to where now it's like video games, right? The, oh, absolutely. We're, 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 we're assembling uh, all this uh, amazing stuff. And that, and it's, it's kind of, as a person that's grown up with this and seen this rapid acceleration, it's exciting to me, Tyler, where we're going. Because I think now, look, the forecast, getting the forecast part of it right is always going to be the challenge. I think new challenges in which ways that we're seeing in terms of trying to get that information out, people are wanting it in different forms, uh, either just a quick glance on their phone or their their app. But then there's times when, you know, they need to make a decision and those numbers and those words on the printed page or their computer or iPhone screen aren't enough. They need a little bit more context to that, right?
3: You're absolutely right. And you brought it up very nicely is that most of us, we go to our phones, we go to the web, we go to the newspaper or whatever source, but when push comes to shove, when the adverse weather, when you have the impactful weather coming, everyone goes back to the trusted sources, which for many do include the local TV meteorologists. So as you said, the numbers necessarily aren't a big story because we all know if you give a range, everyone goes to the top number. But what the future holds is trying to explain to us what does 6 to 12 inches of snow looks like? What does 150 mile-per-hour winds look like? So I think we're going to see more virtual reality start to play in ahead of major events. Because from there, people can say, oh, 150 mile-per-hour winds are coming. This is what I can expect. I'm now going to make the decision to evacuate instead of what we always hear while We've dealt with storms that have had 150 mile per hour, and it was never that bad. But this time, it was the worst ever. And I think that's how we start to erode, is we have to get people to picture themselves ahead of the storm of this is what's going to happen. And I think we're slowly but surely going towards that. And you said the graphic systems are helping with that. It's going to just perpetuate further and uh you're going to see a change I would say probably within the next ten to twenty years
1: I agree I think uh in that regard you you know will be able to put because it, there's so many differences you look at a snowstorm and just a yep. little bit of a, a difference in the <clears throat> geography some areas that are in an upslope. In other words, the wind is bringing that moisture and it's rising. Those areas may tend to squeeze out more moisture as they're on the other side of the hill where it's downsloping the wind. It's drying it out and they may get an inch or two less. The impact for the area is the same, but then if we're judged on six to 12 and one area is six and another area is eight or nine, I mean, some it's, it, those are the things you're talking about, right? To get that idea yeah. of, hey, here on Beacon Hill, we're seeing this situation, but let's go down to, You know, Mashpee and Situate along the South Shore and South Coast, and it's a much different feel right now here in the Boston area. So, yeah, those are those are all good points. So, you know, I think one of the exciting things to me as a guy or as a person, Tyler, that really uh, is focused on communicating the weather is, as a meteorologist, that's with all the other advancements in the modeling and all of that kind of stuff. That's almost taking some of the hard work out of crunching numbers and things like that. Now I'm more in the mode as a meteorologist to be able to take the information, distill it, and then really work on the best way to communicate that. So that can be a focus more of a meteorologist now than say it was 10, 15, 20 years ago.
3: Oh, absolutely. And that and that's where the field is going. You talk about the last 10, 15 years. If you go to the last 40 years, the the jump In the improvements in the modeling and how it's over the last 10 years been very consistent where you get these updates, where you get these new high and improved, high-resolution models that's going to help us catch the, the high detail of topography, the normal models or the bigger deterministical models that have a big grid space miss helps us to pinpoint and focus more on the details, the impacts, saying. Being able to say that down in the valleys, Hudson Valley, Connecticut River Valley, you guys are going to only see a couple of inches, but you just go 10, not even, a couple miles to either way out of the valley, you're going to see six, seven, eight inches and in what the impacts are going to be. Or in the case of what we dealt with this past weekend with the ice, or was that New Year's Day with the ice, mm-hmm. that that will play huge to be able to really pinpoint things of that nature. So being able to focus on and make people say, oh, okay, I live here. We're going to have this. Instead of when we talk broadly, it comes across across that people say, all right, where am I in when we talk about a big region?
1: Right. Being able to focus
3: in on that will help.
1: I I agree. And and the other thing too is I think sometimes people are spatially unaware of where they are. I mean, you can tell somebody... I have an issue sometimes with the with the way we draw warnings and stuff, because when we talk about the southern area of certain counties and the northern areas of this county, I, I, I bet if I brought 50 people in a room they may not necessarily know at least half of them what half of the county they are in geographically so I think oh absolutely you know, w- You're right w- ways that we can uh, improve that aspect of it we're talking with Tyler Roy senior meteorologist at AccuWeather, who uh, really specializes in uh, this aspect communication and also you know we affectionately call him the European czar <laughs> because he spends uh, a lot of the time in the operational forecasting that he does is uh, making sure our international especially European forecasts. Let's talk about that for a few minutes here while we have some time. Absolutely. You know, they they do it a little different. Um, You know, we in America seem to be more, as we are a lot of times, kind of enamored with technology and toys. So radar, which was a huge, you know, we didn't talk about that. Telegraph is one advancement. Radar was kind of the second big advancement to be able to see the precipitation as it actually was occurring in the shape and the intensity, right? So that was a a 1950s kind of, push into this kind of push to be able to get it so but you know th- they're more they haven't gone the technology till lately because it's all catching up with everybody and is the ease of it but i always found it interesting you know up until a few years ago uh, europeans tended to do actually more detailed presentations of the weather in some ways where, you know, they would actually put isobars on the map more so than we did in in the United States or or maybe had a little bit more of a technical presentation than America did. Do you still see those differences or is that kind of getting more evened out and towards the way people are presenting the weather from one side of the pond to the (laughs) other?
3: I still find many European countries to be very weather advanced in terms of, as you were talking, Dean, showing isobars, showing upper-level troughs, showing things that necessarily here in the United States, you will never ever catch on any radio or television weather briefing or weather report. The, the big ones, are or big country, I should say, is really the United Kingdom is known for this. They are just, I will not say they're in tune with the weather. At times they seem to be oversaturated with the weather. It's yeah. almost the you take how we're interested in the weather in the United States and how it drives our newscasts, right? And you plop it there and you put it on steroids, and that's <laughs> the United Kingdom. That's amazing. Um, and that's with the tabloids. Well, I think also, clicks.
1: right. And I think they spend a lot more time outside, Tyler, <clears throat> on average, than. Yep folks in america do i mean they're and and it's the the way that is in some of those areas you got to be pretty hardy to spend some of that time outside especially in the winter months so it, well, absolutely. you know it's uh it's interesting well um i know this was as uh, you know our friends at armet said that this presentation was very well received and and i know you enjoyed doing it and I know you enjoyed working with that whole day when we announced the uh, weather photographer of the year. And so uh, uh, good stuff. Uh, anything that we can look forward to in the next few years that maybe, you know, I don't know if it's going to be the monumental breakthrough that the telegraph or radar was, <clears throat> but is there something that you think that could be coming in the next few years that can maybe um, change it even more a little bit?
3: I, ne- I don't necessarily know if it's a technological Aspect of the next telegraph, I think there's going to be a lot more with making the weather personalized, but something that I do see happening over the next few years is where warnings become more impact-based instead of quote-unquote criteria that we see in the text.
1: We're not slaved to just certain numbers for warnings, yes. right? Yes. A 35-mile-per-hour wind strong enough, long enough is going to still provide some damage Maybe as much as 170 mile per hour gusts. So it's that kind of nuance that's going to be the way we start forecasting the weather for a person's experience at a given place.
3: How I see it going is kind of taking, because that's really happening over in Europe and globally. You see it happening in South Africa. You see Australia going towards that. But where I see it really thriving in the United States is you take. A warning system, especially when you throw on the polygons, mm-hmm. when with uh, severe thunderstorms and tornadoes, and you overlay that with impacts,
1: mm-hmm. that
3: I think will help people understand more of what is happening and what to expect.
1: Severe thunderstorm warning for damaging wind gusts and large hail that could provide some big dents in your car and maybe break your windshield or something.
3: Yes, like yes. And it might mean having a new color system. A red warning means, as you said, Large damaging winds, hail, right. and versus a thunderstorm and that's just going to bring uh, "quote unquote" low level damaging wind gusts.
1: We we already saw that in in some areas, and we've been trying to do that in times and ways. We talk about storms, uh, impactful, paralyzing, major. You know, not so bad, <laughs> uh, but. <laughs> yeah. But there, there are there are. And I, and I and again, those these are things that, you know, AccuWeather at times has been on the leading edge of in terms of trying to come up with words and, and scales and the real feel and the real impact and those kinds of things. So really good stuff. Tyler, thanks so much for your work, welcome, not Dave. only in this project, but uh, throughout your time at AccuWeather and uh, looking forward to getting back together with you in person when we all Absolutely. get back into the office. Tyler's it's been going, a pleasure. Take care. If you'd like to follow Tyler on Twitter, you can do it at TylerTheWeather is his Twitter handle. And I also look back, and if you go to rmets.org, this is the Royal Meteorological Society website, rmets.org slash events slash all, you will see down the lower right, it says events archive, and you can go to all past events and get to October 17th, and you can see that weather live event which we certainly contributed to with the Royal Meteorological Society and embedded in that presentation in that conference is Tyler's amazing presentation that he gave back in October. So glad he was able to talk with us about that. And we'll have Tyler on again to talk about that and more. Another gentleman who's been communicating the weather and trying to hone the craft of that for many years at AccuWeather is... Senior Meteorologist Dave Dombeck, and he's going to be along. I'm going to pick up on this topic a little bit with him, and then we're going to transition into how some folks who have been kind of eased out of winter in terms of any harshness here over the last week or so Maybe getting a big slap in the face towards the end of the upcoming week into the following weekend. We'll also talk about this storm that's starting out in the mid-Atlantic here Friday into Saturday with some snow for the Carolinas in southern Virginia. Those are things we're talking about on this episode coming up as we continue with everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com.
3: Listen to Weather Insider every weekday for a discussion on trending weather news with me, Bernie Reno, and Evan Myers. You'll get detailed insight into major weather events and learn the why behind the weather. Just subscribe to Weather Insider on your favorite podcast platforms today.
1: Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. This is our first episode in this 2021 year and our fifth episode in the winter series. I'm meteorologist Dean DeVore. Appreciate Tyler Roy's help with uh, talking about the evolving ways that we communicate the weather and bringing someone who's been communicating the weather from AccuWeather for decades to millions around the country and the world, senior meteorologist Dave Dombeck. And Dave, um, you know, before we get into what we normally do in the last segment is talk about the weather for the upcoming weekend and the week beyond. And it's been an interesting situation here the last week with kind of really a pause in the storm situation for much of the country, uh, a different storm track. But I kind of wanted to kind of bring you into this conversation that I was having with Tyler about just how much things have evolved in terms of the way we communicate. And it's it's funny because last Monday when we had the slack outage and we were certainly having a lot of problems communicating in our office and uh, we were reminiscing once we did get our channel going and what we were yeah. going to do, uh, reminiscing about all the old things. And, and, you know, some of the things we talked about with Tyler, I wanted to talk to you about because you were kind of front and center there really in terms of the the real big leaps of technology that certainly started to make things you know, we talked about the telegraph back in the 1800s and how that really kicked in, you know, reporting networks, map drawing and all of that. One thing I didn't talk to Tyler and I kind of wanted to talk to you about was the advancements in radar. When you started at AccuWeather, right, the radar situation was crazy, right? You got it over a fax or something. You had to dial it up or do something to get a radar. I mean, things now that we take. So for granted, then we get mad at if that radar hasn't updated within a minute. Sometimes you guys would not get radars for a couple of hours and not necessarily know exactly what was going on. I mean, how, how interesting was that back in the day?
0: Yeah, that was uh, radar was uh, it was a totally different story back in those days. Uh, two things. One was we used to get the uh, radar plots on the old teletype machine. And for example, you would get like, let's say Pittsburgh radar, you get out of, out of Pitt airport, you'd get the, you know, and, and, and you would have a grid, it was like a bingo sheet, you know, one, two, three, four, ABC, and you had your squares. And, you know, in, in grid number, you know, E5, there was a level four thunderstorm. So you would plot, but even if you did it right away, right when that first came out of the teletype, it was still 15, 20 minutes old by the time you plotted it, that was one thing. And then the dial-up thing was that little, we literally had a little probably um, six inch. I don't even know if it was that much, four or five inch square, you know. Almost like an oscilloscope
1: kind of like the the old oscilloscope kind of displays where it was greenish or whatever that Uh, it
0: Yeah, it might've been like a a maroon color and Mm. and you didn't see much detail. It was like this wet fax paper we used to get. It was... (laughs) I mean, it was it was so antiquated. You know, when you think about what we have now, it was crazy. But we hey, we we still managed to forecast the weather, even with the limitations we had.
1: But I think, you know, so radar and then to me in the last five years, one of the biggest advancements is the amazing clarity that we see in our satellites. And and you and I talk about this a lot. I get mesmerized watching the satellite every day and and we get these amazing goes images that you can see almost the the cl- down to the cloud that's right over your house almost. It feels like you're you can get that much detail. so you know exactly by looking at that satellite what's going on weather wise i mean it's it's much easier to figure out. so I mean that continues that level of detail that we get to look at and and judge what's going on now helps make the forecast better. And and I think you would agree what Tyler and I were talking about, which is now we as meteorologists can spend more time in telling people not only just the nuts and bolts of the numbers, but the impacts that add that value that we do at AccuWeather and uh, hopefully uh, we always do is to give people the context of the information. We can spend more time on that than actually nuts and bolts with the forecast itself.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And I think, too, the audience, I think you would agree, too, Dean, the audience, the weather audience today is a lot more weather savvy.
1: Sophisticated, Uh, yep. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, than they were, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Um, You still have to be very careful. And, you know, you and I know people, uh, friends, family, whatever. They may be weather hobbyists. Uh, They may know a certain amount about the weather. They may even be able to read models to a degree. But people like that are kind of dangerous because they, <laughs> they, they think they know, <clears throat> they right. understand things, but they really don't have the the, the background, the, the deep understanding of meteorology and the weather and how it operates, how the atmosphere operates like you have to have to be a meteorologist and be successful. So, yeah, it's a, it's a different world out there as far as who we're, you're, we're communicating the, the information to.
1: Some of that's our own, well, I wouldn't use the word fault, but I mean, I think AccuWeather has been on the front line helping educate presenters, you know, with our TV service over the years on how to present the weather correctly, presenting yep. it ourselves directly correctly. And, and I think, uh, you know, that's been something in terms of that ability to communicate that AccuWeather certainly taken the lead on. Let's, uh, limited time here. Let's, kind of transition into talking about the weather and you know it's been a couple of weeks since we've had an episode so once we were going into the christmas holiday in that big storm and then you know we came through new year's a pretty stormy pattern up in the you know the northeast and the great lakes it was going back and forth cutter coastal cutter coastal and now we've just gotten out of everything that storm track right now is coming into the pacific west kind of dropping down into the Southern Plains, kind of strafing along the Gulf Coast, and then it goes back up along the eastern seaboard. Uh, Right now, this one that we're going to watch over the weekend looks like it's a Carolina special. It's going to then go right back out to sea, not get too far north. But now there's some interesting things that we're continuing to watch for next week, whether or not there's some storms up along the eastern seaboard. It may miss uh, New York City again, that early week one. That's hard to tell, but uh, incredible, you know, this I had somebody say to me and sometimes I don't just getting into this as much as I am this actually is more of a El Nino pattern in terms of the way we're stormless here than necessarily a La Nina pattern at this point right
0: It yeah it is interesting and we are truly you know when you look at the all all the indices we're definitely uh, La Nina uh everything you look at it's it's a clear you know by looking at the data we are in La Nina but you're right that the pattern is kind of um you know, it it, it resembles more of a, an El Nino pattern with more of a Southern track, like the one we're seeing, you know, coming up, you know, Friday night, it's a more of a Southern track storm and it is going to be a Carolina special, perhaps into southernmost Virginia. Virginia looked like from what we could tell, it's been very consistent last uh, couple of days. Now the Northern extent of any precipitation from that Southern storm, late week storm is like maybe what Southern third of Virginia, Southern half of the Delmarva. uh, That's about as far, but it's going to be a it's going to be a sizable storm for the Carol Western Carolina mountains and so forth. And some of that, you know, at least some snow gets into southernmost Virginia, but you're right. That's a kind of a swing and a miss here uh, for the, for the Northeast, the big cities in the Northeast. Um, and then it's really, it's been quiet, quiet. It's like, let's enjoy it here in the Northeast <laughs> while we have it. Cause we know we've got some challenging days ahead as we go through this winter season. Uh, next week, uh, you know, you look at the pattern, and there's so many pieces of energy and so many possibilities. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, do we do we have uh, do we end up going zero for three? You know, for between now and next Friday, or you know, maybe the best chance would be Tuesday um, of a connection there. You know, with the southern storm, and if it tracks close enough to the coast, some rain and snow certainly that might be the most interesting. And then at the end of the week, mm. uh, perhaps an Arctic uh, cold front that
1: comes. Mm. That, that looks pretty certain. By the end of the week, this upcoming weekend, there's going to be a bitter blast of cold air for the Great Lakes first. And then it looks like it's kind of centered on the northeast uh, into there, those areas. And and I guess the key then would be is as that's coming through, depending on its speed, does something try to form along that? and. Create maybe a. I know the GFS has been kind of hinting at a pretty big storm as that uh, Arctic front's coming through uh, as we get into that upcoming weekend. But yeah, it looks like the weekend starts with that uh, down uh, in the uh, Carolinas and then that moves out by uh, Friday night. And then there's another kind of little similar piece that's going to kind of drop in. And then that's the piece that. You know, some of the models are bringing it up as far as the Delmarva, but then some of the models have just recently shifted to some of the precipitation a little farther north as you get late Monday into Tuesday and then Tuesday into Tuesday night up along the eastern seaboard. So that's going to be the the key that you're going to need to watch AccuWeather.com here over the next couple of days as we go through the weekend to see how far the northern extent on that is. And, and it looks like, you know, there, there's we're talking about this is one of those times we're going to start using those words polar vortex again because the, the reason we're going to get this uh, big slam of Arctic air, it looks like, is that there's going to be a sudden warming event that loosens some of that cold air that's rotating around the pole. And that's what drops in to give us one of these little arctic discharges that it's going to put some cold into folks uh, for at least uh, the second half of january it looks pretty cold up in the northeast and the upper plains right
0: which is not unusual uh, that's no. <laughs> it's like it's like the, asking somebody else is it is it is it unusual to get the ninety and you know in, in July? Odd,
1: uh, no, no. <laughs> so it's not unusual to have problems. So again, as you go through the next uh, few days over the weekend, if you're listening, check into AccuWeather.com and uh, our AccuWeather apps that uh, certainly are getting so many great reviews as uh, we've gone over the last uh, couple of months since uh, they've been redone. So those will give you all the information that you need. And then we'll keep an eye on just how bitter that blast is as we get towards the end of next week. But you're right, uh, Dave. I think a lot of us, it's funny, Dave, you know, with everything else going on in the world. Sometimes the weather knows when to kind of settle down a little bit. Could you imagine (laughs) everything else in the world going on and the weather was uh, extremely crazy like it was a a week or so ago? Dave, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for your reminiscing about those old fax radar machines and all of that and uh, your information about the weather. Have a great day.
0: You too, Dean, and I've got many more stories. Anytime you need them.
1: <laughs> we'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll tap into that for sure. Take care. <laughs> Take care. We will certainly tap into some of those great stories and Dave's expertise going forward. We may try to start to do a few more projects with Dave in terms of the podcast world as you get ready for this weekend and the week beyond, including. Folks are going to see some snow in the Carolinas and then that second piece of energy that comes into the southeast and then towards the mid-Atlantic early next week. And whatever holds in store with that Arctic blast will keep you up to date on our newly redesigned app, which is winning all kinds of accolades and awards every day. On our AccuWeather website, AccuWeather.com, and our great media partners, including our AccuWeather network that's available. Certainly check in early and often as we keep you up to date and check in with this podcast. Got some interesting things. We're going to talk about Touched briefly on it in that interview with Dave, which is I think next week we're going to talk a little bit more and try to explain a little more polar vortex and what that really means with this sudden warming event and this release of the Arctic air into the, United States and even Europe here as we get to the second half of January something that we certainly will talk about and we've been looking at some other aspects and topics one thing I would like to talk about uh, in the next couple of weeks is uh, some of you may be familiar with the radio telescope that was been a part of uh, Puerto Rico Arecibo for decades it has uh, certainly been suffering and now is a total failure in terms of a collapse and something that uh, I'm thinking that uh, is something we're going to miss in this country. And we'll see what that's all about. And there's some other great stories we would like to tell. If you have suggestions for a story idea or something you would like to hear, maybe you have a question you'd like answered, you can email us at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. For Dave Dombeck, Tyler Royce, and the hundreds of AccuWeather team members working hard every day. I'm meteorologist Dean DeVore. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week for Episode 6 of our Winter Series. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com.
2: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do,